Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi, riding solo today. I do have a special guest that I was so happy to have on, so excited to chat with and get his feedback. One of the rising young stars in college basketball media, not just college basketball, actually. He covers college football as well, uh, doles out picks for, for soccer. Uh, it's Greg Waddell. No need to hide it. Field of 68, field of 12, Greg Waddell. Uh, he was kind enough to jump on. But it was him and me chopping it up. No Taylor, no Shark, unfortunately. They'll be back next week. We are brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your college hooper of the week, it's Sam Thompson, former forward for Ohio State. Let me tell you something about Sam Thompson. He, he, he went over to look for those Ohio State Buckeye teams, integral part of their success, and he had quite a dunk package. I don't know if you guys remember Sam Thompson getting up and throwing it down, but he had an awesome dunk package there for the Buckeyes. Sam Thompson, your college trooper of the week. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, contact them at colin at royaldigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at royaldigital.co. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Damel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains.
right, we got a great episode upcoming. We bring on and welcome to the program, Greg Waddell from the field of 68. A lot of fun. Greg is such a nice guy, smart guy, intelligent, knows knows the ins and outs of college basketball. And of course, we wanted to get his thoughts, get his feedback on the current state of college hoops. We talk everything from Louisville to Kentucky to the Big Ten to Houston, Texas, Arkansas. Some new coaches at different places coming from mid-majors and then, of course, some quick hitters. But I also wanted to give Greg the opportunity to share his perspective on how he got to where he is. Because, like I said, he's a young, up-and-coming giant uh, when it comes to to college basketball. I'm telling you, this guy is is a treasure trove of information. We had his partner in crime, his co-host, Carter Elliott, on who is who's also doing terrific work. And I think they're just a great uh, duo. So it was awesome to have Greg come on and share his perspective on everything. But like I said, what I found most fascinating is his breakthrough and his rise into the college basketball media space, because he will mention to you, he was in the rat race, just like a lot of us, uh, those that are listening to this, me, myself, the, the cube rat race, baby, the nine to five. Uh, so Greg was able to share some of the steps that he took in order to cover some of the biggest games and and he's doing a wonderful job so we'll get to that here in a little bit i wanted to open the show though with a little hat tip from about a week ago okay awesome lovely beautiful brilliant execution in crunch time from some teams last week regardless of the result it had to go noticed because college basketball part of the appeal is that it's ugly it's messy, it's sloppy, it's mistake-riddled. And I know the NBA hardos are going to tell you why. How, how are you going to be able to watch six straight possessions where there's a turnover and then there's a missed layup? Well, that's part of the appeal for some people. Get over it. hate to say it. But that wasn't the case last week because there was some amazing execution that I really want to highlight. First and foremost, Michigan State, the inbounds play to force overtime against Kentucky, and then eventually win two two inbounds plays uh, from Tom Izzo. Awesome. And it was it, it's, it's, it's so cool to watch 18, 19-year-olds perfect and execute complex out-of-bounds plays. Uh, laugh all you want. Be, a, be an armchair critique if you want. A lot goes into that. A lot of moving parts. Five players all have to do their job, and it has to work flawlessly, and it has to work against a team that has about five, six seconds to defend you, knowing that that's all they have to do in order to get the win. And Michigan State did it. That was awesome. And that it was full length. A full length inbounds play worked to perfection. Hug for Michigan State. Also, Wake Forest inbounding from their own hoop to win the game. Everyone everyone loves to draw up the play where you you do the baseball pass, excuse me, the football pass to underneath your own hoop to one of your big guys at the free throw line. Thank Grant Hill to Christian Leitner. But instead of Leitner doing the turnaround, that player then dumps it off to a trailer coming for a three and he hits that in transition. Now, like I said, a lot of moving parts. That doesn't work that often. Wake Forest executed it to a T and Steve Forbes showing some of his brilliance that he showed at, at Eastern Tennessee State. Wake Forest kind of waned towards the end of last year. But that was an awesome inbounds play. So I want to hat tip the Demon Deacons for that. And then Mercer. 
Mercer ends up losing last week, but they had the perfect missed free throw. I think they were down two, so they needed it with, I don't know, a second or two left. They needed a missed free throw, and it was the perfect missed free throw. That's also very difficult to do. I feel like we see a lot of times, six, seven times out of ten, when the player wants to miss, they miss so badly that they actually make it. Make that make sense. But that's what we see a lot of the times. Or they just don't even draw rim, and it's a violation. Great job by Mercer for uh, perfectly executing a missed free throw. Of course, they missed the shot. Didn't win. But regardless of result, early in the season, college players, you're not used to seeing this great of execution. So I thought it, it should be highlighted. All right, let's go ahead, get to our interview now with the field of 68's Greg Waddell. All right, we now welcome to Theater in College Hoops, a rising star covering college basketball from the field of 68, Dimers and Sleepers Media. We got Greg Waddell joining us today. Greg, what's going on, man? We had your co-host and partner in crime, Carter Elliott, on earlier this offseason. I'm glad I was able to uh, get, get, get you on as well. Thanks for having me, man. I, I swear to God, uh, an actual text I sent a day after that episode came out to Carter Elliott was, that's my favorite appearance you've ever done on anything. So I feel like I have big shoes to fill, but I'm a big fan of your show, and it's a pleasure to be here. No, I appreciate that. First of all, very kind of you to say uh, Carter was great. I'm sure you're great. We listened to a lot of your content. Uh, you know, you, you ha- you've had some bad luck though, the last couple of days uh, with some bets. I, I did see before Arizona blew that nine and a half spread. I apologize because I'm an Arizona man. I saw you tweet before <laughs> the game or maybe midway through the game uh, that Arizona is something along the lines of your cheat team. I didn't know if you were pandering, knowing that you were coming on the program today. No, I swear. I, I knew I didn't know that you have some uh, some wildcat blood in you somewhere. But uh, no. So I my thing is every year I fall in love with a different college basketball team. And usually it's not who I think I'm going to love going into the season. And I it, in my heart of hearts, I'm a Michigan basketball fan. So that's never going to go away. But every year there's always like, oh, some like it's been Iowa uh, with Keegan Murray last year. And even going back to Luca Garza, I loved that team. I'm trying to think of other examples from outside of the Big Ten. But every year, it's just a random team. I'm like, oh, I love these dudes. And uh, like Lonzo Ball's UCLA team going back like six, seven years ago, I just fell in love. I knew they were going to bite me come March. And then this year, 100% it's Arizona. Like I genuinely think Arizona is the best team in the country right now. And I know that's not true, but no one can convince me it's not true right now. I just love like I think they're starting five is so good. They're so solid. They're so complimentary of each other. They're playing like Gonzaga brand offense with Tommy Lloyd and scoring a hundred points a game. Like, I don't know who can stop these dudes and I don't think they're going to lose many regular season games. You want to talk about biting you in the ass come tournament time. I don't know. There's a fan base down in Tucson that knows exactly about that. Haven't been to a final (laughs) four since 2001. So this actually might be fitting your criteria perfectly, or at least with the UCLA comp biting you in the ass. I'm curious to know though, do you have a deadline for yourself? When it comes to identifying these teams, like, is it the Maui Invitational? How long into the season or is it just a feel sort of deal? It's definitely not a deadline thing, although I will say I think this is earlier than normal. Like, it feels like I normally come to this realization around the time conference play starts. Like, I try to, you know, th- probably the same with you and fans everywhere, right? Like the first month of the season, you're just trying to watch everybody. 
Like if you truly love the sport and it, like the first month of the season is about figuring out if the things we thought in the off season are true and just taking it all in. And it's hard. Like with so many games, it's just hard to see teams. Like I just flipped on Notre Dame and realized it's the first time I've watched Notre Dame this year, 10 minutes before jumping on this show. So I like it, it feels like this is a little premature for me, but I, I can tell I'm not going to like a team more than I like Arizona this year. And I don't know. Some of it is like non on the court stuff too. Like I'm a weird mutant of a college basketball fan, but I love narratives of like this team underachieved last year and people are kind of writing them off. Like Kirk Creesa last year, I hated the guy as a, a quote unquote unbiased, just viewer of basketball. Like I was bashing him saying that they could never win games that mattered if he was your point guard and because on paper it was just frustrating watching him take shots away from Ben Matherin who I thought was the best guard in the country last year and now it's like okay Kirk Creason makes more sense to me this year because I'm not upset every time he shoots a step back three that he's taking a shot from someone I think is better this year I want Kirk Creason taking those shots and I love Tubelis. I think Pell Larson's cool. So it's definitely early. I, I will say that. But I think the state of the country as a whole might be why it's come so clear to me that I like Arizona because I feel like I don't love the other teams at the top as much as I normally do this year. It's kind of open. It is. And and I feel like we've been seeing, and maybe it's it's because it's a brand new season and we're looking for these different upsets, but it does feel like here a few weeks into the season that there've been a little bit more upsets and the PAC 12 is certainly responsible for that. Basically <laughs> tying the goddamn swack PAC 12 challenge. But it seems like some of those top dogs have been getting knocked off a little bit more so than earlier in the season, uh, previous years as well. So we're going to get into all of that, the landscape of college hoops, because you're right. We're trying to identify what games we're putting on. Uh, there's definitely been some stinker teams that we'll highlight and some impressive teams. But first, Greg, I want to dive into you a little bit, okay? So I got Carter's perspective on how you guys got started. I want to know your perspective. Uh, it included, I believe, Brad Davison. Uh, I don't know if that holds true in your timeline, your story. Tell us how you broke into the media, Greg, your background, all of that. Yeah, it. I think Brad's definitely a footnote somewhere along the way, which uh, is hilarious to look back on. But no, I think Carter and I have always been close friends and we didn't grow up together or anything, but we, we sort of met and became such close friends uh, through a mutual love of basketball. He went to college with a kid that I grew up with in high school and we met in college as college students do, you know, going to visit each other and drinking on the weekends. And, you know, anytime we were together, like we were staying up until six in the morning talking college basketball. And uh, after, you know, after we both graduated and his playing career was done, we just were like, hey, we still want to talk basketball. We're probably not going to see each other as much as we did in college. So why don't we just start a podcast and see what happens? And we never really had any intention of it going anywhere, to be honest with you. It was just sort of our way of, I think, staying in touch with each other. Um, and then, it, honestly, when COVID hit, it really sort of gave us a little push to try harder and see what comes of it. We... Uh, Going back, if you go like linear for us, the steps along the way to where I'm now doing this as a full time job, like so many odd dominoes had to fall in order, like sequentially in order for me to get where I'm at. It's insane to look back on. But, um, you know, one thing we jumped into a live audio room 
And we were doing those maybe once a month, strictly because I had someone I knew from a fantasy football league who ended up uh, basically co-founding Spotify Live, the app. And they had been getting us beta testing it. Like, hey, we know you have a podcast. Why don't you try this? And, um, you know, we did a couple of rooms. One day, Jeff Goodman just showed up in a room. And, like, I freaked out because we had, like, three listeners in the room. And I'm like, oh, my God, I think that's Jeff Goodman. So, you know, the beauty of live audio, you can invite someone up. And Jeff popped in the room. And we sort of went back and forth for 30 minutes. And we were talking about Michigan at the time. And I think he was questioning if Devontae Jones could be the starting point guard on a good team uh or maybe it might have been mike smith it might have been the year before that when michigan was actually good and so i pushed back on him a little bit and about a week later we got this nice message from from jeff himself that was just like hey i was really impressed with your guys chemistry and what you do like what's your contact info and making that connection has i mean changed my life and i think carter's uh by default just from him being roped into this with me but uh, ever since, you know, we've, we've gotten a lot more connections. We've gotten to meet people that are just like us that are really hungry for this stuff and, uh, had some great opportunities go our way, including interviewing Brad Davison and a couple other players along the way. So yeah, it's kind of now I wouldn't necessarily say like our sleepers thing we do is like our, our full-time intention, but we want to see where it goes. And, uh, I think, you know, this year we're going to get to do some on the road travel stuff together that we've never done before. And I'm hoping it goes really well. Cause I think it could be the start of something awesome for us. I saw that plug that for us, Greg, you guys are hitting like two, two arenas each month. Keep me honest here. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you guys got going on there? Yeah. So we, uh, we had floated this for a while and I, I had sort of told Carter, Hey, we're going to do this. Like if you're willing to do this, we're going to do this, whether or not anyone will let us do this. Even if we're just paying this out of pocket, we need to do this and see what happens from it. So we, uh, we pitched the field of 68 who I work for. I, I don't know how much we had to pitch them, honestly, when I told them we were going to do it, but, um, they're going to co-opt us basically and let us air that on their platform. And it's going to be, a Big Ten travel series where we go to 10 of the 14 venues this season. We wanted to go to all 14. We left most of the East Coast ones out, like Rutgers and Penn State and Maryland, uh, just because logistically there wasn't a, a way to make it work on specific weekends that we needed. So uh, we're hitting pretty much everything else. I think our first trip is Lincoln, Nebraska for like an Iowa, Nebraska game on a, a Saturday night, which should be fun. But yeah, I, I, I was I was just going to say, Greg, I. I was like, dang, you can't go to the rack logistically, but you got to go to Lincoln. I oh, mean, it's brutal. No disrespect to Nebraska, but I I want to take in a, a game at the rack. No, it's brutal. I think the rack's probably top four if I was making a list of where I want to go in the Big Ten, honestly. And, you know, I've seen a lot of these teams play. I haven't gone to any of the venues other than Michigan and Michigan State, which I live in the state of Michigan. But, um, you know, I like rack is a bucket list type place for me to go to just for the mystique of how do teams lose here it makes no sense to me so we also we thought it was hilarious on paper that like our very first episode of this is just us trudging 10 hours in the snow to lincoln nebraska like if we can get anyone to watch that then i think we're in a good spot so we'll see what happens hey i'll be watching for sure you already uh are, are getting prepped for that type of weather i saw that recap after the michigan state uh I, they, who, who are they hosting just recently they had villanova villanova week, thank yeah. you that's right. Yeah, so I saw that recap. It was already snowing there. Uh, weather's obviously get, getting cold now. But I, I want to go back just a little bit, Greg. And I think what the most fascinating part of your guys' trajectory are those little details and those dominoes that you referenced. I'm not expecting you to tell me 
step-by-step that timeline, what were some examples or what were some of the highlights of those dominoes where you're like, wow, I can't believe this broke this way or what, what I did in order to push that luck in my direction, if that makes sense. What were some of the highlights? Yeah, no, it's insane. I mean, I think the very first one I kind of spoke to quickly, but like just a, a friend that I haven't even met in person, but I've been in like seven fantasy football leagues with the guy going back 10 years now. Um, like he, he co-founded this app that became Spotify live. And uh, at the time it was called locker room. It was, uh, they were beta testing when he reached out to me about it. They had maybe 10 people using it. And he pitched it to me as, Hey, this is a place for sports fans to talk sports and do it live with other people. And this was five years ago, really is I think the, the first time I ever used it, Amani Bates committed to Michigan state. If you need the timeline of that. that helps. And I, I remember texting him like, Oh, I'll try it out. This is big news for like me and my podcast host. And, um, you know, I remember the, just even trying that was the first domino because at the time we were pushing out podcast episodes and three people were listening to it. And it was the two of us and my mom. And I remember the moment we opened that room, like I just clicked tweet out the link and like 50 people jumped in it. And I remember being so enthused by that at the time. Like I called Carter after it was just like, oh my God, like I thought that went really well. And there were 50 people listening to us. I can't believe it. And so we started, uh, you know, just trying that a little more. That was domino number one. But without that ever happening, without even having the friend that did that, I'm never experimenting with that. And I never get to a point that Jeff Goodman shows up in a room. And, you know, if Jeff Goodman didn't show up in that room, there's no way that I've done anything that I've done at this point. And, um, you know, uh, like uh, on the fly, like I think credit to me and us for being capable of like let's get jeff up here instead of kind of ducking that because i remember being spooked seeing him in the room like part of me wanted to just end the room and be like let's let's not let jeff goodman hear this in case he doesn't like what i have to say but um you know i think those were kind of the two big steps and then by honestly by the time i got even just a foot in the door whatsoever like by the time jeff goodman knew who i was i probably annoyed him so much like I, I remember Rob Doster tweeted out uh, a link and Jeff had introduced me to Rob some point along the way, but he was looking for, for a producer for the field of 68. And I have never produced anything. I was from corporate marketing world um, in the tech industry for about six years before that. And I remember I, I just called Rob out of the blue and was like, Hey, I have no idea if I'm qualified for this job or not, no hard feelings, but I would do anything to get into sports. Like, are you okay if I apply for this? And he was like, hell yeah, dude, do it. And it got me an interview. I think honestly, they sort of were doing it as a courtesy for me. But I remember the moment I was on the phone with them, like I just laid it all out there of like, look guys, I've got a pretty solid career right now. I'll do anything just to get my foot in the door. And I think that made an impression. Rob and Jeff have been huge for me. Like I know that a lot of people, Jeff's pissed off the entire state of Michigan today by saying he hates that Detroit is going to host a final four. So I know it can be a little controversial to be like, Oh, I love these guys, but they genuinely have been so good to me and have changed my life in ways that uh, I couldn't really imagine. So, um, you know, I think just along the way, it's like uh, all of those things had to happen for me to even consider this becoming a career and the odds of them happening in sequence, it has to be less than 1%. But I like to think, you know, when you have an opportunity and it's something you love, you got to go for it, right? And I think that's sort of how I've ended up where I've ended up. 
Absolutely. Impressive stuff. So what I want to do now, dive into the college basketball world. First and foremost, though, I'm glad you were able to clarify for me who your team is, because in reading your tweets and following <laughs> you, I couldn't tell if you were a Spartan or Wolverine. So again, you're a, you're a Michigan Wolverine. Now, how does that play alongside your co-host and good friend Carter, who's a Spartan dog? Uh, it's fun, first of all, and I think in a weird way from where we started five years ago when we just first were doing episodes alone together, I think we've sort of rubbed off on each other oddly. Like one of, one of our biggest tropes or one of the things we constantly come back to is that we think it's totally okay as a fan to say out loud that players are not playing well or that our team isn't very good. And unfortunately for the two of us combined over the last three years, there's been a lot of bad basketball to discuss. Uh, Michigan was really underwhelming last year. They look horrible to start this season. Michigan State has been as bad as they've been the last two years in my lifetime. And they look great now, which is fantastic. But, you know, it's been a lot of like ribbing and joking to each other that even like our own fan bases, I think, listen to us sometimes and just don't like the way we approach that because from our eyes, we feel like we're just honest and we'll talk about it, but it makes for fun banter. I'll tell you that. Like it's been, it's been rare since we've started that both teams have been firing on all cylinders. And I can't wait for that moment because, you know, you go back 10 years, like the Trey Burke, Nick Stauskas era and Michigan state was making final fours in that same era. And I would love from just both a fan perspective and a friendship perspective for Carter and I to both have that happening at once. Right now, it feels like someone's always got the upper hand. Right now, it's him. And uh, I'm going through it. It's probably going to be a long season, but it makes for fun content for sure. So what does Michigan need to do? Because they did get waxed by ASC. It seems as if they have trouble with the state of Arizona the last two years <laughs> in these in these tournament games, uh, in-season tournament games. Hunter Dickinson, obviously, was on a podcast, uh, the Barstool podcast, uh, talking about dropping 18 and 20. And I actually love Hunter Dickinson winning by 20. I, I love him. I think he's, he's great for the sport. Uh, he's a lot of fun, and he's damn good. Uh, just generally speaking, right? Uh, what does Michigan need to do in order to get the the wheels rolling and actually sort of shake off that stank from last year? Yeah, they went to the Sweet 16, beat Tennessee, uh, but all in all, they snuck into the tournament. A lot of people had, took issue with that. What do they need to do to get back rolling here? Yeah, I think there's two big holes with this team right now, and it's shooting and defense. And I don't know that shooting can be fixed. Like, I, I think their shooting problem is just a personnel issue right now. And I'm a little surprised they didn't see this coming because all offseason, the narrative was, well, last year's team was really talented, but it didn't fit around Hunter Dickinson. There wasn't enough shooting. Moose Diabate didn't make sense with him in the front court. Devontae Jones wasn't, a, you know, four or five attempts a game guy from three-point range. We got to replace those guys with shooters. And the guys they went out and got are not, really proven shooters. Jalen Llewellyn had one really good shooting year at Princeton, but beyond that, he has been a chucker that has missed a lot of shots. His free throw percentages haven't even been very good for his career. And Kobe Bufkin, from all we've seen, I mean, he was a McDonald's All-American. He's the full-time shooting guard now for anyone who doesn't know. And, you know, he, he can't shoot. I think he's 10 for 53 in his Michigan career from three right now. And it doesn't look pretty either. So like those guys aren't going away. There's only one bench guard on the team. He's another true freshman who can't shoot. So until those guys magically start making shots, I think the offense is pretty stuck. And, um, you know, it, it stinks because teams like Arizona State, like they can just swarm Hunter. And Hunter is still good enough to get 24 and 10 
through triple teams. But if he has to work that hard for it and no one else can make the team pay, that's just a really losing formula. I do think if they are to improve, it'll be defensively. But the problem right now is that they're they're so far away from even being adequate. Like it's it's mental lap stuff. Jet Howard, as good as he is offensively as a freshman, I mean, I, he's got to be probably the worst defense guy I've seen as from a true freshman in a Michigan uniform in like 10 years. Uh, like he, every single play, if you just watch him, someone has to tell him what they're doing or where to be. And often he makes the first mistake and then everyone else is left recovering. And with the way the offense is, Jet has to stay on the floor right now because he's the only guy who can make shots. So it's really, really messy. I honestly, I look at last year's team that underachieved with Michigan. And I feel like even when they were playing poorly and when Arizona boat raced them in Vegas to start the season, it, it always felt like you could point to things that would make sense to get better or things that could be fixed pretty clearly with this Michigan team. I don't have those answers and that scares me a little bit. Uh, I trust Joan Howard as a coach to get the team playing well if he gets to March, but I'm a little worried this team might not get to March, which really pains me to say. Well, the Big Ten is is a very competitive league, arguably the best. I think yesterday Fanta tweeted out that they're 50 and 7 or something along those lines. They have six ranked teams in the top 25. So uh, come conference play, they're going to have to obviously clean that up. I want to pivot now, Greg, to the state of Kentucky. Okay, we'll start with the Wildcats. My My general thought when it comes to coaching is if you're able to rack up Final Fours, you're a great coach, okay? So I think a lot of people get wrapped up with, well, how many national titles do they have? And, of course, there's no bigger uh, question mark. It's not even a question mark considering he has one, but when you look at John Calipari, he's got a multitude of Final Fours, right? Kentucky fans are lunatics. I think we can agree on that. But there's a lot of really good coaches that haven't been able to break through that Elite Eight barrier. John Calipari certainly has. Do you think Kentucky fans have a beef with Calipari with the way the last couple of years have gone, the start this season in losing to Michigan State, in getting smacked by Gonzaga? Is there a legitimate beef or concern from fans with Calipari, do you think? You know, it's hard for me to process because there is a legitimate beef. And I was at the champions classic and you could feel it like that. That arena was, I think heavily Kentucky fans, at least during the Michigan state Kentucky game. And I think even hanging around for the second game, like they were out in droves and there was a very clear tension taking over that building that was directed towards Cal. That's it. It wasn't directed towards the team. It was directed towards this again, really. And it's hard for me to square from the outside looking in because uh, unless you really pay attention to Kentucky, like this program is in a fine spot. Like, yeah, they got upset last year, but uh, like every program is susceptible to that happening. And I think even the best ones, uh, even like Duke under coach K for, you know, had six, seven years in a row where they weren't really doing a lot in March. And then all of a sudden he'd win a national title and it was fine. So, the hard thing for me is like, if you're a Kentucky fan, you can be frustrated with Cal. You can be frustrated with the offense he runs or lack thereof, because I think that's the biggest criticism is like, what is this team trying to do offensively? And I think that's more of a roster problem with this team than it is 
anything else. And maybe Cal needs to do better there. But like, if you're building your roster around Oscar Shibwe and Severe Wheeler being the two key offensive cogs, like, I don't think that's going to work. They're not really even a pick and roll tandem that you would trust. Oscar is just going to do damage on the offensive boards. And Severe Wheeler is a non scoring threat other than getting layups off his speed. So, I don't know. I I think this team is in trouble because I don't love the guys that they're trying to win through. I don't think Cal should be in trouble. Uh, I do think the sport is just sort of caught up to him, though, where I think his big boom he had was when he beat everyone to the punch on the one and dones. Now everyone's caught up and it was like, okay, Cal might do the transfer thing better than anyone else. Well, now everybody's doing that, too. So I don't know if he doesn't have that leg up strategically on how he wants to build a roster. If this is going to result in the teams that could really win it all, like the early 2010s did for Cal. It's a fascinating argument to me because I I can empathize. I feel like I can appreciate what Kentucky fans are going through because they're obviously going to say we're Kentucky. We demand championships. That is it. No matter how unrealistic that really sounds and absurd that is to a lot of other uh, fan bases. But when I look at another blue blood in UCLA, they've been dormant for quite some time. Mick Cronin is like a godsend to them. (laughs) Granted, in his first couple of years, he made a final four going from the playing game to the final four. But it's, it's just so funny. You never hear that. I feel like with other blue bloods. And I think it's, it's, it's crazy to think about a guy like Calipari quote unquote, potentially being on the hot seat, if that makes sense. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I would hope he's not actually, but knowing Kentucky, he probably is. That's what I'm saying. Like he's, he's not, but there's that, even that small little thing in the back of your mind saying, ah, he might be, that's insane to me. Right. And that's, I think that's going to be felt most when we get to the NCAA tournament, because no matter what, if you, if you're upset with Cal, you don't think he's doing a great job right now. Like, at the very least, even Kentucky fans would admit with Cal, you have a floor of like, we're going to win 25 games a year, right? Like even the worst Kentucky teams are going to finish top three, top four in the SEC. I think he's had one year since he took over at Kentucky that, you know, they were a bubble team. And like, he's one of probably only five guys in the country you can say that about genuinely, like no matter who they replace him with, that floor goes away. And if Kentucky fans are crazy enough that they just want the title ceiling, you know, they might take that risk, but I I think it would come back to bite them. And even uh, like use North Carolina, for example, like they, they made the run to the title, which was improbable and awesome, but that team was on the bubble all of last season leading up to that. So it comes down to like, I don't want to call it luck in March, but you got to be fortunate in March. And if Cal loses in the first round again this year, I really could see this going south. Yeah. And it's a great point. And that's why I say final four is not championships for me because getting to the final four is incredibly difficult. So much shit has to break properly for you. Uh, And then that Carolina team, I wrote them off when they lost to Pitt at home. And then lo and behold, they end up going to the title game. All right, Greg, I'm going to give you now the, your biggest challenge yet. I want it to be the biggest challenge uh, thus far of the college basketball season for you. Say something nice about Louisville. Oh, God, I can't. I genuinely can't. Let me try, though. Oh, OK. I mean, I'm going to keep it very small and very specific. I thought for the first eight minutes of today's game, they competed very hard. They competed harder than I've seen them in any other game I've watched this year. Then they didn't score for about 16 minutes straight. <laughs> I was shocked. 
And, and when they lost to Bellerman, I was saying to myself, look, this was always going to be a difficult year, first year for Kenny Payne, but they're winless. They have a legitimate shot, I think, at starting 0-10. Uh, it, it looks ugly for Louisville. So Kentucky fans, no matter how bad you think you may have it, your rivals in the doldrums right now. I have to ask you, you know, is if there's any sort of silver lining uh, with, with Kenny Payne and, and Louisville there. <sighs> I, I honestly don't think so. And I don't like piling on guys or situations because from everything I've heard, like I, you should like Kenny Payne, the person at least. And I don't think he's going to be here long. And it, it sucks to say that about someone who's been there so fresh. But I mean, this this team has a very real chance of losing their next four or five games after this. And I, I don't know that you can do that at a program like Louisville. Like, it, you want to say give guys time. You want to say give them two, three years, but you can give them time if you just win a couple games. Show me signs of life. Show me something. And right now, like, I don't even know what they're trying to do on the court. It seems, uh, you know, the recruiting trail's a mess. They didn't get Wagner. That was the big thing. So I, I would put the fire out before it burns more down if I was Louisville, but I don't know if they will. Uh, I think we should keep our eyes on that, though. Yeah, let's stay in the ACC here. Another team that's struggling mightily, Florida State. In the first episode since the season broke, I was saying, look, that was a disappointing first game for Florida State, but I trust Leonard Hamilton to get the ship right. Hasn't hasn't been righted as of yet. They just got their first win a couple days ago, either that or yesterday. What's going on with Florida State? I think that this is one of those situations where you have those teams who bring everybody back. I love to lump them in a category because it's so volatile. Like you have no idea what the outcome will be for a team that on paper, Oh, they've got 80%, 90% of their guys back and they include their top five scorers, right? Like Virginia falls in that category. They look great right now. They were bad last season. Michigan state lost probably maybe one to two, like Max Christie's gone, but everybody on the team from Michigan state was on the team last year. They weren't good. Now all of a sudden they're good. So uh, like, it doesn't really make sense always to me. There's no rhyme or reason to what teams make the jump and what teams don't. Florida state was one on paper in the off season. I definitely had making jump. I had, I think a lot of smart people had them coming close to the top four in the ACC this year. And the more I watch of them, like they're a team, it's easy to say it now in hindsight that we've seen the results, but like, their four best players don't really make sense together for me right now. Like I like what Matthew Cleveland brings to the table, but Jalen Worley is a lot further behind than I think any recruiting service thought he would be both last year. And now this year, it doesn't look like he's making that jump. They've just got a lot of inefficient kind of hybrid guard slash wings to me. Like they don't have a true point guard. Um, I know they have injuries in the front court right now. I, they don't have the depth to at least sustain an injury in the front court right now. So I still think there's some sort of ceiling there for them that could hit, but it, it's pretty dependent on Wardley becoming a guy. And I don't think that's going to happen based on what I've seen this year. Yeah. I feel like up is down, down is up. We got Mike Norvell and his squad ranked top 25 and Leonard Hamilton's team is usually doing what uh, the, the football team's doing here. So it, it, interesting stuff going on in Tallahassee. All right, here are the schools for me, Greg, that have quite frankly taken care of business. There's been, there's obviously other undefeated teams. There's teams that came in with high expectations, but they've had at least one game where you're a little troubled. You're a little apprehensive. Think of a TCU. Obviously they did lose a game, but that Arkansas pine bluff 
think about those uh, those teams where high expectations they're obviously pretty darn good but they haven't taken care of business and they haven't given anything uh for, for their fans to worry about those teams in my estimation houston texas arkansas of those three who do you think has uh the highest ceiling i would probably go houston i think that's a pretty easy answer but outside of those three, let me know if there's any that I might have missed. Those three, though, for me, are the 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 bar so far of exceeding expectations. Yeah, I agree. I I'm surprised by Texas thus far. I think of the three you mentioned, I'm in agreement. Houston's the best team right now. I'm also in agreement. Well, I guess I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth or not, but I think Houston has the highest ceiling and is the best team right now. Um, I think mostly because that backcourt is just ridiculous. Like any team that has three different guys who can kill you off the bounce and are dead eye shooters when they're just catch and shoot situation guys, like those are winning formulas. It's what we saw with Baylor the other year. And not every team's going to have Mitchell and Butler like that team did. But I mean, damn, these Houston guards are pretty dang close. They're going to do what Houston teams do. Like they're going to beat you up on the boards. They're going to, defend and this year they have uh, an NBA talent at center which I don't think we've ever really seen in the last five years from Calvin Sampson so I like them I think they deserve the number one spot right now but uh, of the other two you mentioned to me like Arkansas I think the jury's still out I'm very excited to see what happens with them tonight uh you know a, a lot of talent maybe the most talent on a roster in the country but uh, I don't know that without Nick Smith, this team is going to be like a final four team and I'm sure he'll come back healthy at some point. I want to see what he looks like. Um, But to me, Texas is the one that has shocked me the most because I didn't love Texas last year. And I think a lot of people sort of fall for the Texas thing at the beginning of the year, or at least preseason, like everybody loves beard rightfully. So he's such a good coach. And when he brought in Marcus Carr last year, like on paper, who was going to say that team wasn't going to be great, right? He was the like the biggest name in the transfer portal and Beard finally had all this talent and then it just never worked. And I sort of thought that would be the same case with this team. Like as much as I like Tyrese Hunter, I had no idea how him and Marcus Carr were going to fit together. And, I, you know, they still seem a little undersized to me going into the season. So I was just expecting like a good, not great Texas team. And for them to do what they did to Gonzaga, like, wow, that was eyebrow raising for me. So I think I, I'm still not all the way there that I, I view them as a national title contender yet. I know a lot of people have sort of bumped them up into the top three, top four in the country. I want to see it a little bit more. But uh, what, what they do have for sure, what all three of those teams you mentioned have is great guard play. And the whole country this year, the story is supposed to be the year of the big. They're it's salivating over the year of the big. It's yeah, it's centers, right? That's all Jeff Goodman would talk about all offseason to me is let's do another profile on a center. And I'm like, okay, fine. But already we're two weeks into the season and the teams that are separating themselves are the teams that have great guards. And I think it's always going to be that way in this game. No matter how many centers end up coming back for NIL and whatever other reason, because they're not going to make money in the NBA anymore. Like let's start looking at teams ahead of time a little more on who do they have in the backcourt? Cause I think that's always going to win out. It's crazy. You look at the last couple of national title teams and, and those that have played in the game, Caleb love Dwan Harris, going back to Davion Mitchell, right? Those are even, uh, uh, 
Jalen Suggs, right? It's all about that guard play. So I totally agree. One thing I will say about Texas last year, I, I definitely thought they were ranked too high preseason. I was like, look, I know it's a lot of fun watching all these names come. Timmy Allen, Marcus Cart, uh, uh, Christian Bishop comes over, right? It's a lot of fun, but it, it, people forget that it takes time for these guys to gel. And this is Beard's first year, right? So I never really had him as a top 10 team. I actually thought they did all right last year in terms of meeting and exceeding my expectations. They won an NCAA tournament game. I thought they played Purdue pretty well in that tournament game. Uh, but this year I am in all in on Beard and I do love him like you had mentioned. But uh, I'm excited to see what Texas does. And 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 these three teams, man, they're a lot of fun. And 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 the state of Texas, right? I mentioned the expectations for TCU. I think they got a little scare put into them and they rebounded well after that loss to Northwestern State. Uh, I like Grant McCaslin at, at, at North Texas. Mm-hmm. Baylor's obviously Baylor. So the state of Texas, I think they have some teams that can really make a deep run. Can you imagine Final Fours in Houston? Can you imagine if we got like Houston, Baylor, Texas? in a final four in the state of Texas. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility is like, that's what I'm saying. Not at all. And it would be crazy. I think if there's one program that I think would really like, it it would be good for the sport to see this team get back. It would be Texas because I think, you know, Kansas has sort of ran the big 12 for so long and it should like, I, I hope Kansas doesn't go away. I don't know how much longer Bill self has and Scott drew and what he's built at Baylor awesome like maybe the best program in the country honestly in the last four years truly i think they have a case for that but texas matters and for that program to have had such big names come in in the recruiting trail in the last 20 years and have essentially nothing as far as wins in the ncaa tournament to show for it still makes no sense to me and it honestly hurt like I didn't like as just a college basketball fan of the sport. I didn't like seeing what happened to Shaka smart happen at Texas because I love Shaka. Like he's one of the figures in the game that has such a unique style. And what he did with VCU was so powerful and mattered so much that you wanted to see him succeed at Texas, even if you weren't a Texas fan. And for that program to essentially just sort of chew him up and spit him out, which I'm not saying was the wrong decision based on what happened there, but like, it just proved a, a guy like that wasn't going to work there. It would be so awesome if a coach, the pedigree of Chris Beard could work there. And I hope it happens. I really do. I don't know if it's this roster. Maybe it's like a year away from being the roster. I know they just got a really big recruit, but man, I hope it happens. I don't see any regression for Texas, I suppose yeah. is the best way to put it. And that's a good thing for their fans. Cause I think they were excited about Shaka, but it was either static or regressing just a little bit. Here with Chris Beard, they have a good season last year, I thought. This year, a huge win over Gonzaga. So we'll see where the Longhorns go from there. Greg, I want to talk to you about some coaches, okay? But a specific section of coaches. I want to focus in on these guys because they made the jump from mid-major to now power conference schools. You got Chris Jans over at Mississippi State, Todd Golden down at Florida, Matt McMahon at LSU. Dennis Gates now at Missouri. Shaheen Holloway obviously was probably the biggest splash going to his alma mater at Seton Hall. Rob Lanier at SMU. Lamont Paris doing a pretty nice job at South Carolina. And Kyle Neptune, of course, supplanting Jay Wright. That's a lot of names right there, but I know you have a, a great Rolodex in your head. Who are, who are some of those out of, the, out of that list that you think long-term are going to establish themselves as – uh, great coaches at this level. 
Yeah, I'll pick out two from that group that I I'm very confident will get there. The first is Shaheen Holloway. And I I don't think I would have said that a month ago. Like no disrespect to Shaheen Holloway and no disrespect to the St. Peter's team in the tournament last year, but I just thought that felt more I don't know what the right word is. I, I a little fluky, honestly. Like I I felt that uh if we were stack ranking March runs that had uh staying power or or exemplified something that had to do with like a coach that was capable of doing it at a different program, Shaheen would have been pretty low on my list based on what we saw from that St. Peter's run. That's totally flipped for me in two weeks of watching the Seton Hall team that he has this year. Why is and that? they they play so hard and I don't know if that's just some some leftovers because oddly like I'm not a Kevin Willard guy but I loved last year's Seton Hall team and the biggest reason was I felt like they played super hard and maybe it is maybe it is just some guys that like have that quote-unquote have that dog in him right I I make fun of that phrase all the time but like that is a thing like and I don't know if that's going to stay, but I, I think the guys he brought in, like the ones he brought in from the portal to this first team that he has are fitting into that and are showing signs of that as well. And I, I just think he's a guy, when you look at the big East right now, Jay Wright just left and the door is wide open for someone to come in and be sort of the heart and the face of that conference. And it's a great basketball conference. Everybody knows the history of that, but I think there's some needle moving recruiting he can do, whether it's from the portal or whether it's just from guys in the trail that want to play for a guy like Shaheen Holloway. And as long as this team, you know, wins 20 games and is this fun to watch, it's going to set the tone for him so much going forward. So I'm in there uh, in a way I didn't expect to be in. The second one is Todd Golden, who I, (laughs) I have to kind of step back with Golden because I want to love him so much. Like, Everything about him, aesthetically, the name Golden, like the Golden Boy, all of that, I'm in. I want to root for it. I want it to work. I want him to be the biggest basketball genius we've ever seen. The problem is I roll my eyes sometimes at the things he actually truly believes. Like hearing him at the Final Four talk about the the analytics side of the game and why it makes sense to you know foul down or up two with 20 seconds left. And let the team tie the game at the free throw line. Like I get the math behind it. And I know there's smarter people than me that say it makes sense to do that. But I, it's just hard for me to get all the way there. And then I watched the first two text or the first two Florida games of the season. I'm like, oh, this team's great. Like the, uh, the Castleton wanted to stay. And I think part of that's on Todd Golden. Castleton could have gone anywhere in the country and Golden gets him to stay. I love Kyle Lofton. I love Will Richard. I love the guys he brought in. Alex Fudge, like they've got dudes. And I thought he might've been the biggest winner of the portal this season in memory. And then they suffer the the massive cupcake loss where uh, I forget who they were even playing, but they were up 15, right? Like been North Florida. I think it was, it was all- somebody from the state of Florida. I think it was North Florida and they blow a 15 point lead and he had no answers. Like they weren't even running offense. Like they were just turning the ball over every possession. I think they and, suffered like a 30, 30 some odd to 10 run in the second half. Yeah. It was, it was literally like an extended 12 minute run where they just gave up a 20 point lead and were instantly down 10. And you're like, what just happened? 
And I like that's where I, I can't get all the way in on Golden is because like if he was truly the coach that he sort of is portrayed as, then you don't let that happen. Like take a timeout, drop a good set, get something going. And I I still trust at a place like Florida, Golden can work because he's gonna win in the portal. I trust him as a recruiter. I think the rosters he assembles are going to be a step up from everything that Mike White was doing at Florida. And they had some good rosters. Like Florida is always going to have talented teams, but I think Golden can assemble a top 10 roster in talent almost every single year he's there. And at a certain point, that's going to win out and beat any of the questions I have on his decision-making on the sidelines. So I'll, I'll give those two as guys. I think like, I think they're going to have almost NCAA tournament every single season potential at their new schools. So it was Florida Atlantic. A lot of guests that we've had on, we had Jared Grasso on, we had Frank Martin on. We all, anytime we have a coach on, we have to ask him, like, do you foul up three, seven seconds left? They, I think I found my new question. And I just want to see, I, I want to ask it just for the reaction. They'll be like, no, no, no. I think you mean up three. No, no, no. <laughs> do you foul up two? Yeah, right. And just be prepared. Whenever you ask Golden, you're getting an answer on why you must foul up two, which is insane to me still. I'm, I'm going to look forward to that. Hey, Greg, I know you're a busy man. I want to get you out of here on some quick hitters. This has been terrific, uh, but we'll have a little fun here. Are you new media? That that term was thrown around. Are you new media like your boy Draymond? No, I'm not new media. I I don't understand that term. Credit. I think you have to be an athlete in order to qualify for new media, right? Which probably, does that make us old media? I don't know what your, your playing experience is, but like, right. I think I'm probably old media. Well... At what level do you have to be an athlete, right? True. Have you Good played point. sports at all? Yeah, right. Just check a box. The third grade intramurals. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I always found that term funny. And 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 you got the likes of Nick Wright and Skip Bayless going at each other with like Draymond. So, yeah. And I know you're a Michigan State, Michigan guy, um, the the new media thing. But it is it is refreshing getting perspective from younger generations like yourself. And in the grand scheme of the media, you are a younger generation. Yeah, that's I think that's fair. I think uh I I love those guys getting more involved. Like I love I don't want to say I love Draymond because I might get some shit from my Michigan side of me, but I like a lot of the things that Draymond does. I think he's going to have like a Charles Barkley level career in media whenever he decides to hang it up. I think JJ Reddick's phenomenal. Like the more former personalities and players from especially from college basketball for people like us that have prominent voices in basketball going forward. That's a good thing for everyone. Do we need to label every former player as new media? No, I don't think we do. So I'll, I'll draw the line there. I'll be on the opposite side of the fence. There you go. Well, I think the field of 68 is doing a great job getting former players on. I know Patrick Young's been on. I know, I think I saw John Henson recently. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, you guys are doing terrific work over there. Uh, best environment you've been in either covering a game or just as a fan. Ooh, that's such a great question. I'll say environment-wise, it's hard to top just the the animosity that is in the building for a Michigan State-Michigan basketball game at the Breslin Center. Like, I, I have so much respect for the students at Michigan State because it, a lot of times those games are noon tip-offs, Eastern time, on like a Saturday. And whatever time they're allowed in, that thing is packed to the fullest and they put the students in the lower bowl. So it feels like an arena's full three hours before the game. And, you know, teams come out, do their shoot arounds, come out, do warmups. Like the, the same way with 
a minute left in the game, a student section would be a good student section would be. That's the way Michigan state treats pregame for Michigan three hours before tip off. Like I've never seen anything like it. So atmosphere wise, you got to go there. And I, a, a second answer to that quickly Hinkle Field House is my favorite place I've ever seen a basketball game at. I went for Michigan State Butler last year in the Gavit games, and that place is just special. Like, it's such a small environment. It's always a sellout. And, it, like, it feels almost, it kind of feels like what I imagine watching even like the Maui Invitational would feel like. Like, you're just surrounded by people who solely care about the basketball in there. And I, I need to get back to another game, honestly, because it's only like a couple hour drive from me. I would be a season ticket holder at Butler if I could. I love that atmosphere. Yeah, two great answers. Two great answers for sure. Uh, Thanksgiving traditions. We are a couple days away from Thanksgiving. Any traditions? Nothing crazy. You know, my my wife and I are both uh, native Michiganders. So we've got family on both sides that are here. We end up, we get spoiled. We get three different Thanksgiving trips out of this on Thursday, Friday, Saturday every year. So other than, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give my mom's stuffing a shout out. My mom makes the best stuffing I've ever had. And that's the first thing on my plate every single Thursday, Thanksgiving. So I'm looking forward to that this week. You're a renaissance man when it comes to sports. Okay, obviously we had you on to discuss basketball, but you're on the field of 12 discussing college football. You throw in bets. You follow soccer as well. Of course, the World Cup. USA, England. I need a prediction from you. Oh, boy. I think USA gets a point. I think we'll we'll pull the draw that. off. I don't know how we do it. I think, I honestly, I sense some heroics coming. Like, it, it, letting the first one slip, that, that hurts, no doubt about it. And I don't know, like if we would have said going into that game, okay, let's just get out with a draw. I don't think anyone would complain. It's just the fact we were in the 82nd minute with three points right there. We let it slip. Uh, and it I was did. a garbage penalty. Like and it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a poor play is what I'm saying. The call wasn't bad. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. We gave it to him. And I do like, I, I think the talents here and I think some of our most talented guys didn't have their greatest performances. I'm looking at you, Christian Pulisic. So uh, I think someone's going to have a moment here. Maybe, maybe we're down like two, one, one Oh late and somebody steps up, gets the big point, And that might be enough to push us through. Greg, we do this with every guest that we have on. It's called bring them up on stage where I ask, uh, you know, you, everyone else to recommend someone I reach out to, to have them on theater in college hoops, chop it up and share stories like you have. I remember Carter actually recommended I reach out to a couple of podcasters that cover Coppin State. I'm still trying to to, oh. to get them. Uh, I think they're twins. I, I'm blanking <laughs> on their names right now, but I need to follow up on that email. Greg, anyone that you can recommend I reach out to? Yeah, I, Carter's talking about the Robinson twins, first of all, Drew and Ace. And uh, they, I'm not surprised you're having a hard time getting a hold of them. Let's just say that. But I love those guys. You need to get them on. Yeah. Uh, my my answer would be Riley Davis. Have you had Riley Davis on the show before? No. I Riley not. Davis is awesome. He First of all, he has the Southern accent that gods are made of. It's just gorgeous to listen to for an hour. But he, uh, I believe he lives in North Carolina. He's a Tar Heel. And uh, he now writes for Heat Check. And uh, he was a big writer for the Field of 68s, the Almanac. He's basically running the Field of 68 daily newsletter that comes out right now. But uh, it's good to see. I know he's he's been credentialed at more games this year. He was just covering Duke last night. He texted me and Carter on the side. Uh, a, a list of five most despisable Duke people that were in the building for the Duke Bellarmine game last night. So 
Uh, he's a very entertaining dude, knows basketball through and through, and I would love to listen to that episode for sure. Awesome. Well, hey, I will I will pester Riley like I pestered you. So kind for jumping on, Greg. Thank you so much again. Everyone go follow him at GWizzy12. Greg, enjoy the rest of the season. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll be in touch, my man. Same to you, man. Thanks. This was a blast. All right. Want to thank Greg for jumping onto the program again. A lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we stay in touch there. He's doing tremendous work. Like I said, go follow him, GWizzy12 uh, on Twitter. He's a great follow for everything college basketball, especially as the college football season winds down and the college basketball season picks up, he's going to be someone that you want to follow. So want to thank Greg one more time for uh, jumping onto the program. Okay, let's go back now to a segment that we haven't done in a while. But it's the perfect time for this because we're in the middle of the season. Usually in the off season, it's very difficult to find this week in feet, but not anymore. This week in feet, Twit time. Gonzaga defeats Michigan State in the Maui Invitational. November 23rd, 2005. Adam Morrison set a tournament record with 43 points, and Gonzaga beat number 12 Michigan State 109-106 in triple overtime uh, in that Maui Invitational. Think about that. 43 points from the legend Adam Morrison. And I should have mentioned Gonzaga was number eight at the time. So this was a a top 15 matchup in one of the best in-season tournaments, early season tournaments, if you want to call it, the Lahaina Center. I said the other day, the Lahaina Center rims softer than a perfectly baked croissant. And I feel like that's been the case ever since uh, that gymnasium has hosted the, the Maui Invitational. Adam Morrison could drop 43 on those double rims in a park, though. That's how great of a scorer he really was. Again, this game went to overtime. Excuse me, triple overtime. Triple overtime. Uh, you had the likes of Shannon Brown for Michigan State. Gonzaga had Jeremy Pargo. This was just a very, very fun matchup. Uh, but the highlight, of course, coming from Adam Morrison. God, look at these names. Derek Ravio, J.P. Batista, Maurice Ager. When college basketball was was at its apex. But yeah, this week in feet, Adam Morrison setting a then tournament record 43. I actually don't know if that still stands. I got to do some research on that. But 43 was a record uh, at the Maui Invitational. Adam Morrison, Gonzaga defeating Michigan State in triple overtime. All right. We're going to get on out of here. want to thank Greg Waddell one more time for jumping on. It was a lot of fun. Enjoy the rest of Feast Week. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. Be thankful for theater. Be thankful for college hoops. And we'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.